Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. He minus 37 seconds. The fight is going to equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host for the day, Ryan Treasure, and we have a fantastic guest today that we're going to be discussing things about life and relationships and and how we treat ourselves, how we treat others. So I want to bring on Dr. Siri. Dr. Siri specializes in difficult to incurable diseases and severe emotional problems, a therapist and has been on television and been doing some wonderful work around the globe, helping people with a new inspirational guide out pocket guru guidance and mantras for spiritual awakening and emotional wisdom. Dr. Siri, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for letting me be here. Oh, well, we really appreciate you taking time out and and jumping on the radio show with us. Finding a frequency is kind of about that moment where, you know, one decided to, you know, take that leap of faith, uh, start that business, uh, become an entrepreneur, uh, uh, shift their focus in their and their career from one thing to another or uh, follow their specific path and what they're doing. So, you know, as we as we kind of begin the show, I always like to ask all of our hosts, Dr. Siri, how did you find your frequency? Well, I'd like to rephrase that question. I, I think it found me. <laughs> you know, I think when you are, I've been meditating for decades now, and the boon of meditation is that the divine talks to you. And so I've been working on myself for, you know, trying to, you know, develop and elevate my mental, emotional, spiritual self. And I think when you do that on a continued basis, the universe finds you, your calling finds you, it can then use you. And I honestly feel that's what's happened to me. I, I don't think I chose it. I think it chose me, this career. Yeah, and I can understand that as well. I kind of have a similar experience with uh, with my experience in, in internet talk radio and in media where you know, I didn't, I didn't wake up one day going, Hey, I want to go work in radio. And, you know, I, I, I made a goal for myself and I went to go set to achieve that. It was just one of those things that, uh, just kind of fell into and, and is, and is definitely my passion and is definitely, you know, everything about what I love doing on a daily basis, you know, working with, you know, professionals like yourself and, you know, getting to learn uh, a number of experiences from a, a bunch of different perspectives, which is why I love doing the radio show as much as I do, because I get to talk to folks like you and we get to learn about, you know, how do we deal with some of these things and, and looking at it from your perspective and leveraging uh, meditation to be able to get yourself to a higher level of, uh, of, of awareness. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've been meditating since the 70s and uh, I came into contact with uh, uh, the master of Kundalini Yoga who is Yogi Bhajan and I literally bowed my head at the feet of those yogic teachings for 20 years where I was up at 345 to 630 meditating two and a half hours a day 
and I only missed five days because I was too sick to get up those days. But it's it's my means of coming into a heightened awareness, and it may not be everybody's way, but um, it certainly does work for me. You know, meditation. So that meditation kind of gives you the ability to deepen your emotional intelligence and 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 get yourself centered and grounded. Explain what it yeah. does for you, and maybe what what uh, what somebody else could expect for themselves. I mean, because I know it's probably a little different. Well, I think the main thing that it does it cleanses the mind of the subconscious memories. As a therapist, I find I make a living on memories memories that are lodged in the psyche that are repressed and so meditation is one means of getting those uh, very uncomfortable uh, experiences the impact of them out of your psyche that's why when a person comes to me um, I I never judge them as crazy I know they're conscious of the fact that that their life is not working something's going on so number one meditation cleanses a subconscious mind and consequently it makes you very clear uh, when you get rid of that goop those insecurities fears doubts within your uh, lodged subconscious then you can live a more conscious life because it's what you don't know about you is still impacting your life. We call that the unconscious. And uh, so, and it's so interesting. I hear some people are just afraid to work with a therapist like me because they really don't want to look at themselves and the stuff that's there as to why they're acting out or why their lives are not prospering or why they keep attracting the same type of individual for uh, a spouse or mate. So, um, Meditation really works deeply on the subconscious level and induces a state of clarity and calmness and peace. And, and um, it's really a means of bringing your individual biorhythm into harmony with that universal biorhythm so that you are at one. And uh, like, for example, I've said to some individuals, I said, you're all man or you're all woman, but you're not whole. And so to be whole to me means to have your mind and your heart and your soul and your physical body all in alignment to wherever you're supposed to be, you're there in that moment so you can reap the opportunity. Oh, very, very well said. When you talk about meditation, uh, I'm sure everybody who's listening has the the picture in their mind of somebody, you know, sitting cross-legged and, and, and with their eyes closed, just kind of breathing. Is that your typical way of meditation or are there different ways that people can meditate that may be better or more effective on an individual basis? Ooh, I've learned thousands of meditations. <laughs> well, uh, and each meditation is just like going to the gym, the physical gym. You do one exercise, you work on the legs. You do another exercise, you're working on the arms. You do another exercise, you're working on the back. So meditations are just like that. They work on different aspects of the being. Uh, some meditations are to enhance the uh, the heart chakra, to open up to compassion, more trust for the self. Another meditation may develop the intuition. Another meditation may offset the negativity of an astrological chart. Another meditation, I finally learned what it meant. It said, if you master this meditation, you'll be able to be in five places at one time. I never understood that until I practiced for a while. And I can sit right here in my house and at 
times I can intuit what is going on with four or five individuals at one time. <laughs> so I finally understood what that meant. So anyway, uh, meditations work on different aspects. And according to the mudras, the mudras are the hand positions that's directing the energy. According to the focus, that also will determine the meditation, whether you're focusing at the third eye, which is at the root of the nose between the two eyebrows, which brings a, a clarity to the mind, uh, of whether you're focusing at the tip of the nose, which cleanses the mind, or you're focusing at the top of the head, the soft spot in the baby's head, which just takes your mind just to complete wisdom and, and awareness. So the mudras and the mental focus will come to uh, determine how you are impacting the consciousness and what aspect of your being you're working on. So every meditation is different. Oh, well, that's good to know that different portions of the the style that you can do those meditations and to work on those different things. Is, is all of that information in the pocket guru uh, in, in this in this new uh, in this new writing that you're putting out? Well, there are 11 meditations within the book itself that work on different aspects like mental alertness and intuition. But there are 108, I call them chapter verses, uh, that are all the big words in life, like life, marriage, sex, love, self-esteem, uh, work, it, all those big words, uh, <laughs> children, uh, masculine principle, feminine principle. Uh, and it's really a, a workbook in that uh, you, Pick the chapter verse where you want to develop and grow and expand in. And then there are 11 power statements there, in addition to an introduction of what the chapter verse is about. Like if it's about work, you know, what is the orientation of the pocket guru to work? You know, if it's about masculine principle, what is that uh, in relationship to the pocket guru? And then there are 11 power statements that you read 11 times in one sitting for 40 days to deepen into the manifestation of those particular words uh, as they are uh, there within that power statement. So it's really um, a, a workbook and That's a great. book of to heighten awareness and to deepen into emotional intelligence and to start making your life work. It's so fun being on planet Earth and your <laughs> life is not working. Yeah, yeah, no, so no, no, and I, everybody wants to have emotional and 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 physical clarity. I mean, I think as a as a human being, a lot of us, all of us, you know, spend our entire lives for a quest of being satisfied in some way, shape, or form. And some of us just don't know how do we get there. Uh, yeah. We know that we want to feel good. We know that we want to, you know, not be anxious. We know that we want to have good jobs. We want to be good parents. A lot of people just don't necessarily know what steps to take to to get themselves into the start of a spiritual awakening and to gain that emotional wisdom. Uh, and I think that's a lot of what ails society uh, in the United States and, and, and abroad now is just people want more. They just don't know exactly where to start. I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> I think you're correct. It's it's uh, it's uh, three ways to learn in life. I've come to understand. You can learn from your own life experience. You know, that's like the 
Siddhartha route. Yeah, you go your own path and you make mistakes and you, okay, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> trial oh, and error, right? <laughs> you know, trial and error. Or you can be lucky enough or gifted enough or blessed enough to find a teacher that will assist you on your journey. You know, like I found a, a real spiritual teacher that just encompassed my entire lifestyle, you know, in terms of eating and the whole thing. And, and uh, or you don't have to learn. That's the third. <laughs> Some people don't learn. That's the not so fun part, though. Yeah, some people don't learn from their own experience. They keep repeating the same things. And some people don't have the grace, the humility, or the awareness to when a real spiritual teacher will appear. And then to surrender their heads, not to them, but to the teachings of truth. If the teachings are true, that's what you have to decipher. Every person has to choose their path. What's right for me may not be right for you. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to a point in, in some of your materials where, you know, as a therapist uh, uh, and, and in your in, in your life and in your journey, you've tried, you know, um, a, a number of different modalities uh, to work with individuals. And I know that you've had some modalities that just don't work. Right. Yeah. At least they don't call me. They don't call <laughs> to me. Yeah. 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 So let's yeah. let's shift gears just a little bit. You know, we were we were talking about people needing to be, you know, open and and willing to accept teachings and and have the you know you got to have a couple things right. Number one, you got to have a little a little gumption to to take a to take a step in a different direction you've never gone to because that's that change can be a little scary taking that first step. Yeah. Uh, right. So you got to you got to make that decision number one, uh, but then number two, you got to you got to you got to make a decision on 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 you know what what aspects of you uh, do you feel you need to work on? I mean, because some people are dealing with different challenges, right? Uh, Correct. One, one person may be uh, you know having extreme anxiety, where another person is dealing with some you know underlying issues they might have dealt with with a child uh, a childhood issue or a parental issue as a child that is causing anxiety one could be uh, stress and work related causing the anxiety all of the the starting points for what one may be dealing with are probably all different um, so as a matter of some kind of guidance for somebody who might be starting this journey where is a good place for them to start so they know that when they do make that first step and leap of faith that they know they're going in the right direction following that north star well, I have a, uh, during the process of working with me, I have a, a sheet, I call it the arenas of success. And uh, whenever a client comes in, of course, they have a presenting problem. Either it's they had a problem with the intimate other in relationship, or they just lost their job, or they're having trouble making money, or they're having problems with their family, or they're feeling isolated. All those are different arenas. So those are that's business. Business is your career. Some people have a lovely career and personally unhappy, not happy. Personal success is, are you happy? Uh, financial success, you can have a great business career and not be financially successful. You can be bringing in $200,000 a year, but your overhead is 220000 so you're, you're in the red. 
So there's financial success. There's of relational success. You know, some people I say are happily divorced. Some people are miserably married. So it's like, <laughs> what is relationship success for you? What does that look like? There's sexual success. You can be in a lovely relationship and not be sexually fulfilled. There's social success. Are you able to go out and have fun with others? Do you have friends? Do you know, do you know where to go and make friends? There's uh, physical success. How's your health? How's your body? Are you exercising? Are you overweight? Are you, are you eating well? What's going on that physical? So there are all these different arenas of success. When a person comes in, there's family success. How are you getting along with your siblings? Your mom and dad, are they still living? What's going on there? So each person brings in their own concern. And that usually takes us to other arenas and you know we look at them also. I try to work as, I always work with the quote presenting problem but it always is connected to other stuff. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, we look at this generation of young adults that's going to be leading the charge for everything as we move forward with the millennial generation. And, you know, a lot of people that I talk to when when we have conversations around spirituality and uh, emotional and spiritual preparedness and, and those types of things, we, we always come back to this underlying question of this generation versus that generation. And one thing that really just is, is bright as day is that these young people in this millennial era seem to be dealing with a couple of things that are not that, that were not such an issue for like maybe the baby boomer generation. And, and, and an example would be you have uh, a much higher uh, percentage of, of people that are dealing with anxiety. Number one, you have uh, millennial males that have a huge percentage of less testosterone being created in their bodies as compared to their, you know, cohorts from uh, world war two and the boomers and, and those folks, what's causing all of this? Why in why this shift in this generation that we haven't seen before? Well, I think it's rather um, very much in our face. It's, this is the age of technology and uh, progress. You know, it's like, uh, I think uh, this two-dimensional society has, you know, where, with the technology is, is really done something. I was reading the LA Times the other day that it said generation X, Y, and Z, uh, and that's younger than the millennials, they have a lot going on, but one thing they do not have is happiness. I was like, wow. And they're talking about how high the suicide rate is comparison to other generations for generation X, Y, and Z. And one of the components that they're looking at is the technology that you know, it's so interesting. You think Facebook, you know, friends. Are those friends? You yeah. never see the people. You don't even <laughs> touch them. You know, friends, excuse me. You know, and <laughs> followers. Followers? Who needs a damn follower? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like. It's I know, we're just, not, I'm not Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, can I touch you and see? And then you see the people, and often they're not what they present there in the in the in, in on social media so you can just have this this two-dimensional life 
you know, to where you think you got a friend that talks and, and you can feel and touch and, and looks like they say they look and, and, and yet you don't. So it's a very empty existence. This technology creates a very empty existence that you are, you're, you're being worked mentally and I guess physically, but not kinesthetically, not honestly, not really. You can't touch, you're not touching them. Right. So it's, it's and, and it has become an addiction. The way I'm told some of the, the young people they wake up, the first thing they get into is their technology. Thinking that I'm guilty of that one. I'm, I'm guilty. Okay. I'm guilty of that one. I, the first thing I do in the morning is I, I check yeah. my emails. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to know. I want to so, know what 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 uh, what things am I going to be dealing with today? Yeah. The technology, it does talk back to you. So people are mistaking uh, technology for actual life. You know, this has our society is getting so far away from the importance of spirituality for my concern that spirit at time has descended into materialism to where we worship materialism as if it were actual life uh, now spirit has descended and it, it spirit has descended to hedonism you know to where you know extreme forms of pleasure are embraced to feel alive progress you know to where spirit has descended into i'm getting ahead and now is in this technology to where people do not have relationship with the veritable breath life inside of them and they keep splitting it off projecting spirit spirit into these non-animate things trying to find the life. And so I think that's why there's this high high rate of suicide that's coming about it with generation X, Y, and Z because they do not feel alive. They have not connected to the life inside of them. People cannot be alone. They have to have their technology. They used to have to have people. Now if they don't have their technology, they feel alone. The best way to uh, to uh, correct a child's behavior is take their phone away from them. Oh my God. That's the worst thing you could do to them is take their phone away from them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter, which I'm sure the audience is probably sick and tired of hearing about, but you bring up a good point and and we've allowed that to happen. We've allowed the, uh, as, as parents of technology based children, we've allowed that to be the problem to, to say, Hey, well, if you're not going to do what you're going, what I'm asking you to do, I'm taking the phone away from you. And, you know, I challenge all parents and I challenge myself and my wife. We, we challenge each other with this all the time is, you know, what would it be like if you never gave the kid the phone in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. I can't help that my daughter already knows what a phone is because she's got to play some games on on the phone. But what I can help is I can also have the conversation with my child where she understands that, you know, this thing that you're doing, no matter how fun you think it is, isn't real life. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a game. It's a toy. Right. Something Mm -hmm. that you get to do to pass the time. 
Uh, and, and I tell my daughter all the time, you know, let's not, let's not play this game. Let's go out and play soccer. Let's go, let's go for a hike. Uh, let's go experience nature. You know what? Let's just go out and talk to other people and be involved in the community. And I've seen a, a, such a great shift, uh, in her behavior in, in the way that she interacts with other children and, and, and the way that she is, um, just by being more conscious of the time, um, that's being spent around with and leveraging tangible technology versus that, uh, old school analog kind of community or, or sense that can be built between a family unit, between friends, uh, between people in general, uh, by leaving the technology in the car at home uh, and going and experiencing those things firsthand, I think is, is, is very, very important. And I would urge everybody out there to, you know, just take a look at that. I mean, I'm not saying don't let your kids play with a phone altogether or don't let them have any screen time, but definitely look at the impact that that's having. Uh, and, and, and if you don't think that it's having an impact, just try, just try not having it for a little while and see the difference. Right. So Dr. Siri, as we talk about some of these things and technology, you know, one thing that's always pops up, we talked a little bit about uh, social media and, and, you know, technology making not people happy. And I think that's a, a, a huge problem. This, you know, addiction to social media. Uh, I mean, I'm on social media a lot. I, I promote radio shows. And so it's part of what I do for a living. I have to leverage this technology to be there, but you know, I can go on my Facebook page and probably 80% of the people that are there, I have physically met in person, shook their hand, had a communication conversation firsthand one, on one with, but I know a lot of millennials that are on, on social media and Twitter and those things that someone sends them a friend request and they just immediately follow and they reciprocate and they don't even know who these people are. And I think that there's uh, the potential for some adverse risk uh, in, 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 in managing your technology friendships in that manner. Yeah. Well, they probably have no intention of ever meeting them. Although sometimes that does happen. Um, they're just content to have the followers and the numbers, you know? And uh, so it's a, actually as a therapist, we're not encouraged to do the social media. We're not encouraged right. to do that. And uh, I'm so happy for that permission. <laughs> I don't have to do it. That, uh, you know, you could get into, you know, legal issues and stuff. So I have started a blog, but, um, you know, so I think yeah, you, have, you have a lot of client and, and patient, uh, you know, uh, you know, doctor patient confidentiality yeah. types of things that you yeah. deal with. So it's not like you're out there like, hey, I just got out of a session with Sally. You know, yeah. she needs yeah. she needs yeah. help yeah. with their anxiety. But I mean, I think what you're doing with the blog is really important because, you know, just being able to take some of your experiences, you know, you're not naming names or, or or doing anything like that. But even just being able to offer general advice and general information based off of the different people that you've been able to help and looking at what worked, what didn't work and kind of formulating that in a manner that's easily, di easily digestible, similar to your pocket guru uh, uh book that you have out, I think is really important because when you go and have a conversation about spirituality or, you know, emotions, right? I mean, that people, that's not something that a lot of people like to talk about. Even myself, when we were setting up this interview, you know, I, I, I'm looking through there and I was like, I said to myself, oh man, I have to talk about how I feel. Mm-hmm. But then again, I thought about it and I was like, why am I so uncomfortable about talking about the way I feel? It's because I don't talk about the way I feel enough. <laughs> yeah. I find that particularly with my male patients, I almost feel like, wow, 
breaking the the man code and asking a man, you know, what's in the room? How's he feeling right now? I feel like I'm breaking the man code because we're not socialized to be comfortable with our feelings as men in particular. And I find it's doing a great disservice to relationships to the man himself. Uh, I have friends, I have clients that come in and it's almost an epidemic. I hate to use that term with my gender, but I'm getting so many men that are just completely disembodied. And uh, I'm saddened by it that uh, the, you know, because the way we're socialized, men are, are not able to embody the feminine principle, which is feelings, uh, uh, emotions, nurturance, uh, compassion, all of that stuff. And because men are not able to be comfortable with that principle inside of them, it's leading to a great disconnect with spouses, wives, a great disconnect. And it pains me so. Uh, am I making any sense to you? No, you're you're making perfect sense. And, you know, I, I'm a 39-year-old male. Uh, I'm married with a, a daughter. Uh, I know exactly what you speak of. And my wife and I talk about this stuff all the time. And even in our own relationship, there's, you know, things where I have to talk about my emotions sometimes. And it's tough for me because I'm supposed to be, you know, the man, the, the, the caretaker, the protector, the, you know, the stone wall for, for lack of a better term. And we all know stone walls don't have emotions. They just stand there and keep people out. And I, and I think that, you know, we and you and I and men in general um, owe it to ourselves to be more than that. One thing I've noticed, though, and, and I'm going to give kudos to men out there is I have noticed uh, there are a lot more people that I run into that are having these type, types of conversations, the conversation you and I are having today, you know, about, you know, being able to be OK with feeling, being able to have emotions and to talk about those uh, without being held in a lower light of being man or saying that, uh, you know, my masculinity isn't masculine enough because I have emotion. Uh, and I think that it's important that people, that people identify that and, and take steps to, uh, and talk about it. I mean, you have to, you have to talk about it. Communication I think is of utmost importance in these, in these scenarios. And I think that's what our listeners need to understand too, is, you know, Dr. Siri, how do you open up those lines of communication to be able to have those conversations without, feeling subpar well it's it's so interesting I've had men at the beginning of our work say I said well go into your heart center and and, and tell me uh, put, put that experience in and tell me how that feels and I've had men innumerable say I don't know how to do that <laughs> I mean not stutter I don't know how to do that just I don't know fact. what I'm feeling. I mean, just just like empty, empty. That makes me and, feel. That makes me feel empty. Well, I, it, it saddens me because I've said to another number of my men that you're all man, but you're not whole. You know, because the yin yang. That's you know, 
it's not all white or all black. It's black and white. It's the yin yang. Yeah. That's the whole. And uh, and so it, it it just pains me because I know my men love the female nurturance, the whole thing, but yet they don't think it. You know, it's that it's it's really a training that has to become obsolete. <laughs> we need to see it as obsolete that we stop raising our boys like this because one thing that men cannot have we've been taught not to express is hurt and so you know boys don't cry so then we we still get hurt by women by friends and then we bottle it up don't don't express it and next thing you know it turns into anger and that's these mass shootings and these all that stuff out there, that crazy stuff, that dry, all that crazy stuff. That's men who cannot effectively express their hurt. Then they hurt others because they're hurting. And it's very sad. It's turned into something that is getting uh, very destructive. Yeah, and I think to add insult to injury on that too, when you're a man and you're dealing with, you know, those types of emotional components where you're bottling this up and then ultimately you end up lashing out, it it's it's got to be taught from the beginning of how to deal with those emotions so that way you have an outlet so it never gets to the lashing out, you know, section of your anger. Uh, and I think exactly. that that's the hardest thing for anybody to do. I mean, that's just a, it's a societal thing that, you know, all of us need to work together collectively as a community, as a, uh, as a people and, and, and work together on, on teaching our children, those things. I'm, I am happy to say that I've, I've got to have some cool conversations with my daughter where I've got to tell her how I feel. Mm-hmm. My daughter's five. So she tells me how she feels every second oh, of every God. day right it's just it's cut she's she's constantly with the feels it's always the feels uh, you know and yeah. I, I got to sit down and have a conversation with her and, and let her know how how when she does certain things or certain behaviors and how that makes me feel as a dad you know how does okay. that make me feel as okay. a man and i think it's important for her i mean i don't have a son so it's hard for i can't go teach that to him uh but yeah. i can at least teach her what she should expect from a man so that way when yeah. she gets older she can you know look for a partner that is you know uh is loving is nurturing understands a little bit about emotion i'm not saying you have to be you know a guru of emotions but understanding that you have them and that it's okay to talk about them uh, i think that's it's super important yeah well if the man doesn't he can't connect with the woman outside of him just like if you didn't go there with your daughter you, you wouldn't be connecting to her yeah, no, you're 100% correct. Yeah. So it's uh it's nothing but a it's an expansion. It's not a dimension. It's not a uh, it's not diminishing the man. It's expanding him. Expanding him. He's operating out of the masculine principle as well as the feminine principle, which is the one of collaboration, relationship, nurturance, compassion, sensitivity. My god. Well, <laughs> would be you know always victorious if you can sit there so basically it's almost like that those teachings and those principles of allowing you to have those emotions to feel those to talk about them to be with them uh is kind of the 
prescription that will help to dismantle toxic masculinity. Ha! Huh. You said it in a very beautiful way. Yes. Toxic masculinity. Yes. And it is out there. It is out there. Absolutely. Dr. Siri, I want to say thank you again for your time and being on the show today. I have one last question for you uh, before we wrap up the interview. And that is... uh, you have the, this uh, pocket guru that you've been doing. You've been, you know, helping people through therapy and, and all of those. But what is next on the horizon for Dr. Siri? Well, um, I'm uh, putting out there to get on a speaking circuit. So I want to start speaking at colleges and universities and um, passing on what I've learned you know, what knowledge has turned into wisdom that's time to share. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and we're starting on the second book. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we'll have to get you set up with a radio show or a podcast as well, because I think that would be some good content that you could create in a manner that would allow you to have a great creative outlet and really help spread those teachings that you're trying so hard to get out there. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Dr. Siri, thank you so much for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Siri, go check out his uh, new publication, The Pocket Guru, Guidance and Mantras for Spiritual Awakening and Emotional Wisdom. Uh, Dr. Siri, where can somebody get that publication? You go to my website, Siri Satnam, S-I-R-I-S-A-T-N-A-M.com. And then there's a slash book and you'll find it and you can pre-order it. I'm, I'm told the first... Uh, 5,000 free orders are gone. They're onto the second printing already. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing. Dr. Siri, again, thank you for being on Finding Your Frequency. We appreciate your time and all you listeners out there who have tuned in. uh, However you're listening, whether it be on your favorite podcast destination, please make sure to like us, uh, share us with your friends, uh, and give us a a review. Uh, We're always looking for what are the listeners like? What do you guys want to hear about? And you can always send information to info at voiceamerica.com. Let us know how things are going. Check us out all over social media at Radio Ryan 1 at Jeff Spinney 2 at Voice America TRN. And you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network.